Well, I don't know about you, but everyone has different personalities when it comes to how much information do you need to be able to take the next step in life? For some, you might be tremendous fact finders, and so whenever you're setting out on a journey, you really need to know all the details, or you're not going to move on that. You're, you've got to find out all the facts. And others, maybe not so much. Maybe by your own personality, you, you know, as long as you've got a thumbnail sketch of kind of what's next, you're good, let's go. Well, the story in the Bible today that I want to share with you is one that would be difficult to hear for those of you that are the fact finders that need all of the details ironed out with all information before you can jump in. Because what we discover in Scripture is God doesn't share with us often all the details when He calls us unto something. In fact, even when God called us unto salvation, though we have a Bible that is complete with all the information and God's revelation unto us, most of us didn't fully grasp the scope of all that the Scripture contains, and quite frankly, are still learning what that's all about. And we will be learning that for the rest of our lives. But the calling of God today on the man named Abraham was a profound call. A man that was living in a very pagan Gentile place. He himself was an idol worshiper. There was nothing righteous in and of himself about Abraham. But God called this man out to go do something phenomenal, made a promise to him, and we're going to see all this today. And now Abraham's going to take a step of faith. And matter of fact, he's recorded. It's why we're studying. is in the Hall of Faith from Hebrews chapter 11. A huge patriarch figure of the Old Testament. The, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, look back to Abraham from their beginnings, and rightfully so, because it is from the, this man Abraham that ultimately will usher in the nation of Israel which brings forth the man-child, the Lord Jesus Christ, in which all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So let's see this today together. In Hebrews chapter 11, we'll begin today in verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And that is just hard to wrap our head around God's voice was so profound in his life in that moment that though he was raised by a family that were idol worshipers, technically they worship the moon. That's what the place where he's from, that's what they're famous for. And so being a pagan, he hears the word of God. He responds to the word of God by faith and God called him out unto something. And he doesn't even know where he's going, but God's going to show him the path. And so let's go back now in Genesis chapter 12 will be on the screen for you. You can follow along fast. Here we go. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Now, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, we, we learn from the book of Acts that this voice of God, the Word of God, came to him while he was in his home country of Ur of the Chaldees. So let me get your geography set for you because we have three places mentioned so far in this verse. We're going to have Ur over here, if you think on a dial of a clock, at about four o'clock. 
That's in Iraq, modern-day Iraq. That's where he's from. God speaks to him. And he now departs from there and goes north to, let's just say, 12 o'clock on your clock, to a place called Haran. Now, Haran is significant because Abraham had a, a younger brother who has already died. That's why he's taking his nephew Lot, because Haran's son Lot um, is now fatherless. And so Abram, as the elder brother, would take that boy to be his own. And so now they depart and go to Haran at 12 o'clock, but ultimately God's going to lead them down to Canaan at, let's just say that's about 8 o'clock on the, on the dial. That gets you your geography all settled. But now watch what's happening here. He's calling him out of Ur, the place where pagan worship takes place. God's voice is profound in his life. He hears this calling. By faith, he responds correctly to that and obeys. That's what Hebrews 11 said. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He followed the voice of God. What is significant to this is what God's calling him to, and that's to come out of this into this. Though he doesn't really know where he's going and doesn't even know what all that's going to look like, has no idea, quite frankly. But he's called out to leave something behind. Now, when you consider what Abraham is leaving behind, he's going to leave behind family and the heritage of all of the family tree. He's going to leave behind a home that actually has foundation, walls, and roof to become a tent dweller. He's going to leave behind his enterprise and the way in which he has made a living and made a name for himself where he is. He's leaving behind the false gods, the false worship, and everything that he has known and been raised in up to this point. He's leaving it all behind. It is the same as when we are called unto salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he convicts and draws us to this relationship with him. You know what happens in our lives? We repent, and meaning we turn, we say no to those things that we have always known and say yes to Jesus. We reject the course that we have been on, which Ephesians 2 describes this as, it's the course of the world, the flesh, the devil, those things that we have always known and always tracked that way, because that's just the way it is. But all of a sudden we have this encounter with God, and now God speaks into our lives by the power of His Holy Spirit, he enlightens us to what is true, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who gives eternal life and forgiveness of sin. And now he illuminates this truth. He convicts us of sin and reveals this. This is God's work in our lives. He's speaking into our hearts and he calls us then unto salvation. So what happens then? We obey the gospel. We obey the good news. So we say no to err in our lives and say yes to Jesus. But here's the thing, we don't even know all the rest of this story. We don't even fully grasp what is happening here. I know when I became a Christian, I only knew a very small amount. I knew in that moment that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior, and I can't save myself. That became very evident to me. Through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I realized that if I, by rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, I was, I was condemned and I would spend eternity separate from God. I didn't want that either. I knew this, that in Jesus, because He conquered death on the cross, that that's where victory lies. I knew with Jesus that He had conquered uh, death as well, so therefore I knew that I had eternal life in Him because, well, He's the only one that can grant it. He died and rose again, so He's the only one that could grant that. But I didn't understand the full scope of forgiveness of sin and, and what it would look like for Him to be ever with me and 
this indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the, the power that comes with that and the, and the revelation that comes with all of that and, and how God's going to teach me His Word and how He put a bound of protection about me and, and how He's making promises into my life. And I didn't understand any of that. I just knew I needed a Savior and God called me and I responded to the call by faith and now I became a Christ follower. And then this progressive revelation in life, as, as you begin to learn the Word of God, you, you learn these things, and through circumstances, God just keeps teaching you of who He is till you, till you call on His name. And what you discover in life is as you mature as a Christ follower, you, you find you call upon Him in various ways of different names. There's times you call upon the name of God when you're in a time of sorrow and you need a comforter, and you, you call upon the Holy Spirit of God to comfort your heart. You call upon Him as the great strength when you need strength because you know you're weak. You call upon His name repeatedly for provision and for protection because you find yourself weak on the trail or on the journey of life and without Christ, you can do nothing. And when we discover that, that is our place of power and our strength because now He supplies and we call upon His name. Abram gets all the way to Haran. This is the beginning of his journey. He leaves Ur says no to Ur, yes to God. He obeyed. He goes up to Haran, and his dad died. His dad left with him to go to Ur. What a setback. I'm sure his dad was aged because Abraham's aged. Abraham and Sarah are too old already at this point to have children. We learn when they leave Haran, and they're not there very long. When they leave Haran, the scripture we just read called out very distinct that Abraham was already 75 years old, and he and Sarah are way past the age of having kids, and yet God had already promised him some things about being a great nation and that God's going to do some things in his life. But Abraham did not understand what all that meant yet. But Abraham suffers a great setback on a journey in which he obeyed. His dad died. You know, we've discussed this many times that often as Christ followers, we feel like, you know what, if I do the right things, if I'm faithful to church and read my Bible and pray every day and I give and I serve and I do and I do and obey and all these things, then sorrows and troubles won't come. But that's not true. Every single person in Scripture that followed God lives in the same sin-cursed world we live in and suffers the calamity and trouble, death and destruction that comes with it but here's the contrast. Because Abraham has a city that's in the eternal heaven that he's in pursuit of. And it keeps it all in perspective. I'm just passing through. And none of us know how long we're on this planet or how long our parents will be on this planet. We don't know. We're just passing through. And so now Abram loses his dad and now he heads on south and heads towards Canaan. He's walking in the land or going to the land of promise. And as he goes to this great land of promise, don't, don't forget, what did God promise him? I'm going to take you to an inheritance that I will show you. He hasn't seen it yet. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. But how are you going to do that considering I don't have my own heir as children? Maybe that just means that I'm going to have servants. When he leaves Haran, he takes others with him. But maybe that just means those born of my household is what God means by that. He doesn't understand yet. I'm going to bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. He doesn't know how. I'm going to 
bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. There's that protective promise that God's made. And then in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it's like, who, me? How in the world would all of the earth find blessing in me? Because he has no idea that what God's going to do is supernatural stuff that Abraham's going to become the father of a nation, the nation of Israel, that will ultimately bear the man-child Jesus, that will ultimately be the blessing to all the families of the earth. He has no idea. But when God called, he obeyed and took the first step. The first right step is always obedient. And it's the hardest one to take, and especially if you're someone that needs to get all the information first. You know, when we, as a family here, started one community, just, I can just tell you, there's a lot of things I had no idea about. As God was changing my course from where I was, there were opportunities that God had put in front of my path that for me to pray, and Amy and I prayed much over several things to figure out, what, God, what are you doing in our lives right now in this spot? And as we settled, we realized, you know what God said do? Go out east to Springfield and start a church there. I didn't know what all that meant. We gathered a few people in our family room one night. We prayed. said, God, if this is what you're doing, man, show us the way because we don't know. We met in a barn for a few weeks to figure out, well, who are we and what are we doing? I didn't know. At that point, this opportunity to meet in Rogersville Middle School wasn't even a thing yet. I didn't even know if it'd be necessary. Maybe my basement's enough. But then as we gathered together and God was revealing in progressive revelation, here's what God was doing was, yeah, you need a, you need a space to meet. And God then provided Rogersville Middle School to us, and we've been here now two and a half, going on three years. Praise the Lord. But here's the point. I didn't know. I wanted to know. And quite frankly, people ask me all the time, hey, Dwayne, what's next? And where are you going to meet? And how's this going to work? And what's your plan? And You know, I don't know. And I can tell you all from every major step that Amy and I have had to take together since we've been married, where God was changing our direction, and we come to this fork in the road, and it's like, what's this going to be now? Every single time, the Lord gives me one little piece, and that's it. And I, I love information. I love to know all the steps, but He never tells me. But I have learned with the Lord in my journey, just take the first step because what God has taught me, Dwayne, I don't steer parked cars. Move. And then I'll show you. Every time. When our family packed up to move to Asia, man, I got just barraged with questions and, and complaints and concerns. That, a, you're too old. I probably wouldn't disagree with that, but you're too old to learn a new language. Your kids are too old to be picking up and moving at this station of life. This is the time when usually people come all away from a foreign field, not going to it. Yeah, I, I get all that, but what do you do with the fact that God speaks into your heart and says, go do that? Well, how are you going to educate your kids? And where are you going to live? And how much is it going to cost? And what about if the geopolitical scene, like what's happening in the world now, what if it all goes sideways? What are you going to do? I don't know. 
But the same God who called me to go do that is the same God who I believe will protect me and, and He's made promises to me and I'm going to walk in them. And if going to that place ushers me to heaven sooner, well, praise God, because that's where I'm going. It's okay. We don't have to have all the intel. The, what you need is to hear the voice of God and hear that and take the first right step, which is obeying what God has already given to you. Just one. He'll show you the rest. One at a time. Well, here's his perspective. If your heaven is your home, you have to understand yourself to be a stranger and a pilgrim. And here's how we see it. In Hebrews 11, verse 9 says, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. It's not home to him. Ur was home physically, but that's not home. He said no to Ur. God took him to Canaan. Well, that is going to be the inherited land for the future generations, but it won't be for Abraham. And so watch what happens. He dwells now in a foreign country, dwelling in tents, not building houses. He's not putting down his roots. God never gave him the instruction to do that. Abraham was a tent dweller. His promised son of Isaac was a tent dweller. Jacob, Jacob was a tent dweller. When you get perspective of time frames in your Bible, a promise is made to Abraham that he's going to make him a great nation. That takes a long time to happen, by the way. Before, before God is able to see them possess this land, hundreds of years pass. From the time of Abraham leaving Ur, you run through the promised son of Isaac, the promise then of Jacob. He has 12 kids. A nation is now birthed. And then what happens? Well, they end up in Egypt for 400 years before they're ever rescued out. And then they not only do that, but they wander around in a wilderness for 40 years. And then they go in to actually possess the land of promise. But God had made that promise way back over here. Abraham never got to see it come to pass. You know, as a pastor, I, I always recognize with the Lord, there are things that God will lay on my heart, steps that we will take as a church. I don't fully understand why God's doing things that way, but I'm glad He just gives us that peace. And I may not live long enough to see it all come to pass. It may be for the next pastor or the next leader. I don't know. I don't have to know. It's just the next right step. But here's what happens with him. Heaven for Abraham is home now. He set his mind on that. That's his journey. So the tent living, that's cool for him. And he's a pilgrim here. It's why Peter, even in the New Testament, pleaded with us as Christians. This is to Christ followers. Get your perspective right, he's teaching. Your home is now in heaven. Remember, Jesus made promises to you. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm coming to get you that where I am, you may be also. We have been secured of our presence with the Lord Jesus Christ if you're a believer in Him. That's home. We're just passing through. So Peter makes this um, proclamation to us or a pleading. He said, Beloved, I, I beg you then as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from the fleshly lust which war against the soul. Because this is not the way of a, a sojourner or a pilgrim who's on his way to glory with God. You don't give in to all the junk of the world. No, that's the, that's the Ur living. Leave Ur behind. And no, the pursuit now is I'm living my life in light of eternity. My investments are in light of eternity. And everything that's going to be about my life, it's going to be for that. And he's like, well, we still got to live here. Yep, 
It's an issue of perspective. The perspective of Abraham is, you know what? God already told us I get to inherit this land, but I'm living in a tent because this isn't home to me. And so what is your perspective? Drilling down in all your investment of time, talent, and energy, all, everything you have gets drilled down into what is temporal? No, when you have this opportunity to make investments in the souls of people and things that last forever are worship unto the Lord. So watch what Abraham does here. Genesis, we'll go back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. Then it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. Now time out. To your descendants. Still Abraham doesn't understand who that is. You mean my servants? You mean those born in my household? Not from me and Sarah, because we're old. My descendants? And he said, I will give this land. He's now set up in Canaan. Here we are. This is the space. You're in the right place. And there, what does he do? He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. You know why? Because the priority of now somebody listening to the voice of God is worship. And now, as soon as the Lord appeared to him, build an altar there. I just want to interact with the Lord, encounter with the Lord, honor the Lord, give all that I have for all that he is. It's why it's one of the core values of one community church is worship. The priority is this. We are a people that are in pursuit of a, of a heavenly place with our Lord Jesus Christ. We're sojourners and pilgrims here. We get it. Therefore, worship is the priority. Giving all that we have for all that He is all the time. He builds this altar and He moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and He pitched His tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed, going still toward the south. Now watch what happens here. He builds an altar unto the Lord and calls on his name. Then he moves, and his place of where he moved to speaks volume. With Bethel on one side and Ai on the other. Names in the Bible matter. God teaches us lots of stories. Here it is. Ai means heap of ruin. Bethel means house of God. So here's where Abraham sets up shop. And this is where I'm going to put my altar. Between the heap of ruins, which is the sin, cursed, messed up world that we live in. But over here is the house of God. And as a tent dweller, I'm setting my altar right here. So here it is, guys. Every single day, we go to the altar of whatever that looks like for you. It's your quiet place where you meet with God in the Word. It's the quiet place where you, you come to Him in prayer. It's the place where every day you lay your life down before the Lord as a living sacrifice. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Use me. I am your servant. However you want to use me today. That becomes the altar. And your altar is fixed between the sin-cursed, messed-up heap of ruins and the house of God, because that's where you're ultimately going. God tells an incredible story just in the geography of where Abraham sets up shop. But as we always know, this seems like a mountaintop moment in Abraham's life. He's walking by faith. He's in the land of promise. Everything's clicking along great. But as we all know, a faith that can't be trusted or can't be tested can't be trusted. And now he's going to get his faith tested. A famine hits the land. 
Genesis 12, 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now remember where we started on the, on the clock? Over here at 4 o'clock was Ur, at 12 o'clock was Haran, where he went up, went down. Ultimately at about 8 o'clock over here, he lands in Canaan. That's the right place. You're in the right spot. But now where does he go? Off the clock. He goes to Egypt. He's way over there. He's off the grid. Why? Famine. There's no food. He does what seems practical. There's no food. Go find food. Except for the fact that the land of inheritance he's now leaving. The promises that God gave to him, he's now forgetting. Now, the revelation in Scripture is this. When he goes down to Egypt, which that's always a phrase, by the way, when you see that in the Bible, pay attention. Anybody going down to Egypt was always going there in a position of walking away from what God had. Now, watch. He goes down to Egypt. And how you know this wasn't God's plan? Because he's taking matter into, matters into his own hands. He gets to Egypt, and now he has to lie about his identity with his wife. Now, she's my sister. Well, why are you lying about that? Well, because she's beautiful and the men may want to take her to be their wives, and so he lies about the whole thing. Well, that's not of God. You know what else you learn in that little chunk of Scripture? Abram never calls upon the name of the Lord there. There's no altar there. There's no worship there. There's no calling on God's name there. No, it's just carnal living. It's survivor. I just want to survive the famine and live another day. But that's not God. That's not the promise. You're not living according to the promises. You're living according to your mind of what you think is right in this very moment. And so when Abram realizes what's happening here, he goes back. Ultimately, the Pharaoh sends him back and says, man, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. And he gets him out. So what does Abram do? He goes back to where he left God. He goes right back to that altar where he built between the heap of ruins and the house of God, and he goes back to that. The beautiful thing about the Christian wall because we come from mountaintop moments of faith, our faith gets tested, we choose carnality and sin and foolishness sometimes, and God doesn't want us to live. And so God provides a pathway back always to the altar. It's beautiful. Because there, fellowship is restored, He calls on the name of the Lord, and now He has fellowship with God As we journey with God, God teaches us to understand promises. This is the progressive revelation of how God works with us. When you go to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Now watch, you're seeing here, this is what Abraham understands. You said I had descendants. My descendants would only be, I guess, Eleazar of Damascus, who came into my home as a servant. So any child born unto him, now as part of my household, there, I guess, would be my descendants. Any children that Lot might have, those would be then my descendants. And I, Supposing then, that's where you're going to make the great nation from. 
Because after all, I go childless, so it's not like it's my own kids that's going to raise up from here. Abram at this point doesn't understand what all God has said way back over here, but watch the journey of faith that he's been on the whole time, walking with God one step at a time, and now God's going to let him see more. This is so cool to watch. And he said, behold, then uh, in verse 4 it says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir. Now, it's not Eliezer of Damascus, but who one will who come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. What a powerful reality that the descendants I mentioned to you before, it's your own, from your own body. You're old, I know you're old, but it's okay. And it's going to be 25 more years, guys, before this all becomes a reality for him. But here's what's cool about this. Abraham, though this is impossible, believed God. And because he believed God, God now declares him righteous and accounted it to him for righteousness. This is a very powerful statement in the Bible. Because when we believe God, we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? I have this sin account that was slammed full. That I can't pay that sin debt. It's beyond my scope because I have violated a living, holy God. There is nothing I can do to ever reconcile that. But when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He drains my sin account, placed it all on Jesus, and now, because Jesus is the righteous one, and now I, because I believe Him, He said, now I declare you righteous. And your sin is forgiven. And that's what He does with Abraham. You believe me that you can actually bear children at the age of what will ultimately be 100 years old? Because you believe. I declare you righteous. It's not because Abraham had done something. It's because he believed something. Now, all of this comes to a summary in the book of Romans chapter 4 where Paul summarizes everything that we have just learned this morning and explains why we need to know. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now here's Abraham's perspective. Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't even factor that into the equation when God told him that you would have your own descendants. When he showed him the stars of the sky, he didn't question and go, what? you got to be kidding me. I'm 100 years old. No. He just by faith believed. And he did not waver. There's no shaking here. At the promise of God through unbelief, but was fully strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what God had what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, watch, therefore, because of what he believed, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now here, Paul explains, all of that matters to you and I now as a New Testament 
believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and here's why. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, meaning righteousness imputed or put on his account, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Wow. The full summary is this. God would choose a man named Abraham who responded to his call. By faith, Abraham obeyed, walked ultimately in progressive revelation of God in the promises, not fully grasping, but then God lets him see more. And when God speaks to him about something utterly impossible, Abraham believed. And God counted it to him as righteousness. And Paul now declares the same for you and me. That God is now calling me unto salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died and was buried and rose again. And that which is impossible, that my sin would be paid for by a holy God, impossible. That I would have eternal life, impossible. That my sin would be forgiven, impossible. That God himself, a living creator of heaven and earth, would make promises to me, a man, and fulfill those promises and keep them? Impossible. But here's the beauty of what he described. But when you believe on that which is impossible, what happens? God now declares me righteous based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not based on mine. I have no righteousness to offer. But God now declares me righteous based on Jesus. Go back. Abraham believed. When he heard the word, he obeyed. Abraham walked in the promises, not fully grasping. He learned. It's why our mission statement is this. We pursue to make disciples who love, learn, live Jesus. Here's how it works. Upon salvation, you know what happens? You recognize the fact that God loves you so much and you now respond to God's love and you love Him in return. You then continue to learn as a Christ follower. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? You don't learn it all day one. No, you learn it over a span of your lifetime what it means to follow Christ in all circumstances. And you learn to live. You just learn to live Jesus. We learn to speak Jesus. We act Jesus. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. It's just what we've been called to be because our, our life is in Him and with Him forever. And so we pursue to make disciples who love, learn, and live Jesus. There's much to consider this morning. If you're, a non, if you're not a Christian in this room yet, I want to speak to you and as well as to the Christians. So I invite you to bow your heads with me for just a moment as we contemplate this powerful word about Abraham's life.
Maybe if today is the day in your life that you recognize God's calling to you to be saved, meaning you've never trusted Jesus for your life. You know about Him. You've heard the stories. You even know the names in which He's called about being a Savior, and you get the idea of forgiveness and all that, but you've never called upon Him and said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, and I'm asking you to save me. And is this the day in your life that you say, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to leave Ur. All the things of the past, I'm ready to leave that junk behind. I want to go the Jesus way. That's called repentance. You turn from one to the other. Is this the day? You know, I don't usually do this, but if that's your day, I'm just, I ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you, but I want to give you some instruction. Say, Dwayne, this is the day. I know I, I'm ready to leave Ur behind and go the way of Jesus. Is that you? Just raise your hand where you are. I'm not asking you to do anything else, just so I can know. Here's what the Scripture teaches. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. What does that mean? I'm going to confess with my mouth. I'm going to literally say, Lord Jesus. You're now declaring Him as the Lord of your life. He's the Lord of glory. There's no other gods. You're putting away all false gods. Recognizing Jesus, He's the Savior. He's the one who died and paid your sin debt, and He rose again. And when you believe that God raised Him from the dead, you're believing in the resurrection, which is the way of eternal life. And you call upon His name and ask Him, Lord Jesus, please save me. I know I'm a sinner, and I'm asking you to save me. You're the only one who can. Christian in the room, maybe today's the reminder of your life to go and establish the altar again. Like Abraham did, a place where you call upon the name of the Lord to renew back into daily in the Word and time of prayer and time to be still and alone. There's, there's so many things that get us all busy, running, going fast, trying to keep up with our families and, and all the struggles of life that somehow, how do we set aside the Word? What happened? Did I, I stopped praying. What happened to me? And this is the place to go back and establish the altar. Have you strayed? Did you chase off to Egypt somewhere along the path? Somehow I'm way over here, and that's not where God would have me be. Is today the day to go back to the altar and to the place where God was meeting with you before? I ask you simply, what's the next right step? To obey God today, what does that look like? Dear Father, this morning we commit this moment as the word has been opened, and we trust God that your word accomplishes its purpose. Because your word is powerful, it's the power of God unto salvation, and so we believe, God, in the power of your truth to transform lives. I pray right now, Lord, for those that are not Christ followers yet, that in this very moment they'll call upon the name of Jesus Christ for salvation and be saved today. I pray, Lord, as well for those that are Christ followers, that, Lord, that we would be uh, placing worship of you, priority of our lives. If we need to restore an altar, if we need to come back from the path of stray, that we come right back to where you are, Lord. And Lord, that we be people that recognize we walk in the promises of God for all of eternity, Lord. We look forward to being with you. And so remind us again today, Lord, of 
how to invest our time, talents, and treasures, Lord, for the things of eternity, not for the things of the temple. Dear Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time to worship. We thank you for Jesus. And it's certainly in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.